1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we'll begin in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And you can be seated. All right, well, we are at the end of our very long section on uh, spiritual gifts this morning. Uh, I mentioned several weeks ago when we were going through the section of uh, tongues and prophecy uh, that we jumped out of order a little bit. So we've already actually tackled chapter 14. So we're not skipping that. We've just already covered that. Uh, so this morning we're, we're concluding here in chapter 13 on this issue of, of love. But remember, it's not divorced from the issue of spiritual gifts. It's couched right in the middle of this whole discussion on spiritual gifts. And um, I sincerely hope that this has been helpful to you, uh, maybe encouraging to you or confirming. Maybe it's been uncomfortable for you, uh, depending upon your view of things. Uh, maybe you're more confused than when we started. I hope not. I hope it's been a little bit better. Uh, if you want a good book to reference, just to, just to have on your shelf, I would highly commend to you a book by a guy named D.A. Carson, and it's called Showing the Spirit. If you want to dive a little bit deeper into this issue of, of spiritual gifts, Showing the Spirit by D.A. Carson, it's, it's a little bit of a commentary on chapters 12 through 14 here in 1st, uh, Corinthians, but it's, but it's not a super technical commentary. I think it's understandable for most people. And I, I really appreciate a lot of the observations that he makes. And I think I align probably most closely with, with Carson's views. Um, so that's a great resource to have. There are others as well. But with that, I, I think it's, it's, it's good and appropriate to land sort of the plane of spiritual gifts here on this last section on love. We've been looking at the nature of love over the past few weeks. And obviously, we can apply these principles to every area of our life. But Paul's point here, specifically in context, is that in the church, as we gather together and come together and relate to one another, that the most important thing that we can do is to love one another. That, that, that's what we're doing as we gather here together is, is loving one another. 
So no matter how gifted you are, spiritually speaking, or how much you might lack in spiritual gifts, the, the overarching principle that we've seen over the last couple of weeks is that love should pervade every aspect of our lives. If you know of no other way to serve, to say, how can I love this person? And, and you just can't go wrong. That's really what Paul's getting to here. And at the end of this chapter, he makes the argument that love is supreme because love is eternal. And that's, that's really the, the takeaway this morning, is that love is eternal. And that's the reason why we commit ourselves to love. And that's the reason why love matters the most, is because love is eternal. Maybe put it a different way, almost everything else in our lives right now is temporary. Everything else is temporary it's it's just passing through. I mean, I mean, think about some of the main things in your life. Your kids. Your kids are just temporary. They're just in your house for a little while, just a blink, and then they're gone. They're they're not even in our lives all that long, let alone for eternity. Your spouse or maybe your future spouse, temporary. Even if you're married for 60, 70 years, which would be a long time to be married. There's, there's no marriage in heaven, and so it's just temporary. Really, heaven is where Jesus is, and, and marriage here on earth just reflects this eternal love between Jesus and the church. Your body is temporary. What you get up and look at every morning in the mirror as you're brushing your teeth, it's temporary. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't like it, um, but it's, it's temporary. When we're raised in the resurrection, it's this body that's raised, but it is a glorified body. No more wrinkles, no more cavities, no more sickness or disease. It'll be glorified. Your house is temporary. Your cars are temporary. Your gardens are temporary. Your phone is temporary. Your pets, your job, your hobby. Everything, it seems, is is temporary. And I say all that, it's not that it's meaningless. It's not that it's pointless. These these things aren't 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 pointless and and we just don't devote any time to them, you know, that sort of thing. But for Christians, we need to realize that the most of the life around us is is just passing away. And what really matters is the Lord and serving the Lord in the midst of these things. I remember going to the beach one time when I was a a kid. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but they had this like sand castle building competition. Have you guys ever seen some of those? And so these people were like going all up and down the Pacific coast, having these sandcastle competitions in all these seaside cities. And it was just amazing what these people could do. I mean, just the amount of artistry and skill and that sort of thing. But there was this, this one overriding principle of each one of them. And that's that their work would only last about 24 hours before it got washed away. It was beautiful. And it was amazing, and they dedicated themselves to it, but they knew that this wouldn't last forever. And that's kind of how we are as Christians. How we serve, and where we live, and how we live, and the people around us, they're important, they're good, but they're not going to last forever. What's going to last forever is is the Lord God and serving him in love. So just like these sandcastle builders, we have to have something bigger that drives us. And I think that bigger thing here is love. And it should love. It should be love. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, what was the answer? It's love. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
That's the whole of the law is to love. That's the whole goal of everything is to love. Life comes down to love. And here that's true with how we are to relate with one another in terms of spiritual gifts. No matter how gifted you are, love should be the driving force. No matter how lack of gift you have, love should be the driving force. And we see this at the very beginning of verse 8, which is sort of where our section this morning begins. Paul says that love never ends. Or some of you have love never fails. Love is an eternal attribute of God. And he calls us to love as his redeemed people. There's never going to be a time now. There's never going to be a time in eternity where we can go, you know what? We're done loving. We checked that box. We're good. There's there's never going to be that time. In eternity, it's next million, billion, trillion years, forever, it's always going to be time to love. And that's what's going to exude out of us. Love is the whole of the Christian life now and forever. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, let all things be done in love, motivated out of love, pushed out by love. 1 Timothy 1.5, Paul says the aim of our charge is love. That's the goal. That's, that's, that's everything in the Christian life. The entirety of all of our lives is to exude love because God has loved us. Love doesn't end. And, and by the way, just a little technical thing, because I know some of you have uh, love doesn't fail. I, I'm not as convinced by that translation because I think if we're honest, this side of eternity, does love fail occasionally? Yes, it does. We often fail to love. We often fail to love God. We sin. We disobey. We become lax in our lives. We find satisfaction in something or someone other than Jesus. And we often fail to love each other. doesn't mean that we don't love. It just means that our love is not perfect. I don't know about you, but I used to have this really hard time expressing love to God. Just telling God, I love you. And part of the reason is because I, I felt like a liar to be real honest with you, like, is that I don't love God the way that I should love God. But you know what? All of our love, this side of eternity, is going to be imperfect love. And yet we still express it. And I think it's still good to express it to God. God knows that my love is imperfect. In his perfect love, he covers over that sin. But love itself will never end. So we keep striving to this. So love never ends. That's the, sort of the controlling principle. What does end? What is, what is temporary in the Christian life? Well, I think we see four things that are temporary in the Christian life that we need to keep in mind. The first thing is that spiritual gifts end. Spiritual gifts end. And specifically, Paul has in mind here prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. So take a look at verse 8. Paul contrasts these two things. Love never ends. That's on one side of the spectrum. But as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So if you remember, these three gifts, and I think especially tongues and prophecy, were sort of problematic gifts in the Corinthian church. These were the ones that everybody was fighting about and arguing over and saying, oh, I'm special because I've got these gifts. Um, It wasn't the gifts themselves that were problematic. It was the people who had the gifts, who were filled up with pride Because they thought these were sort of the be-all, end-all gifts of the Christian church. If you were really special, really, really special, you could speak in tongues. If you were really special, you could prophesy. Paul says, no, 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 that's, that's not how this works at all. 
Now, on, on the one hand, these do seem to be greater gifts, and they seem to be greater gifts because they seem on the surface more miraculous than the other gifts. It's more manifestly miraculous to, to just speak in a foreign language that you've never heard than it is to, say, manage people. And, and I don't know about you, but, but I like a show. Everybody likes a show. Everybody likes to see the really cool wow thing. And so tongues and prophecy especially, and also words of knowledge, seem to be the really cool wow thing, whereas some of the other gifts didn't seem to be as um, spectacular. They didn't seem to be as miraculous. Now here's the reality. They were all miraculous. You want to know why? Because they're all empowered by the same Holy Spirit. So no matter what gift you have, it's empowered by that same Holy Spirit. But on the surface, those ones seem to be impressive. But Paul says the reality is that all of those are coming to an end. They're all coming to an end. Prophecies will pass away. Remember, we saw that prophecy is usually encouragement and upbuilding in the church, but there's also a work of the Spirit to impress upon people uh, a message from God or things to come. But there will come a day when that's just absolutely no more. There's, there's no more prophecies. Tongues, Paul says, will also cease. Uh, this particular phrase, just so you know, has been poured over by all kinds of people on all sides of the charismatic issue. I'm not going to bore you with all the grammatical details, but just suffice it to say, some take this to mean that, that what Paul's getting at here is that the tongues will stop on their own prior to the return of Jesus. And so they say, see, um, that, that's, that's proof that, that tongues have stopped now, even before the return of Jesus. Um, I don't think that I'm willing to say that the gift of tongues is done altogether just based on that grammatical thing. Um, I will say I, I don't believe I've ever seen a genuine manifestation of tongues, uh, but it certainly seems that it's less prominent now. Maybe we could even say that it's rare now compared to what we saw in the early church. But all that, Paul's point is just simply that it will end. This is not an eternal gift that, that people have. So tongues ends, prophecy ends, knowledge will end. Remember, we don't know exactly what the words of knowledge are. We, we studied that a little bit back in chapter uh, 12. Our best guess is that it's probably some sort of uh, a work of the Spirit to bring something to mind that people did not understand just through natural means. It was just supernaturally revealed to them. Um, it seems as though it was maybe the, the, the ability of God to work in somebody, to, to have this knowledge, to convict sinners and bring people to repentance and faith in Jesus. Well, we don't need conviction of sin and glory because there's no sin and glory. So it seems as though that gift is going to cease. In fact, it seems like all these gifts will cease in some manner. We won't need teachers because we will all know God. We will know even as we're fully known we won't need mercy because there will be no more sin. What's there to be merciful about for all of eternity? We won't need generosity because we'll all be experiencing the fullness of the generosity of God in Christ in heaven as we are co-heirs. Look over at Revelation 5 for just a minute. I, I was thinking about the gift of tongues specifically in Revelation 5, and, and this kind of came up. This is not a hill that I'm going to die on, but this is my own little, just, just something, a, a connection that I made. I don't know that it's that we'll no longer have the gift of tongues in heaven um, because it will not be needed. 
I think it's because in our glorified state, we will all probably understand every language possible. Notice what he says in Revelation 5, and then he says it again in Revelation 7. This is just kind of interesting. Revelation 5, look down in verse 8. Look at who's gathered around the throne and look what they say and do. So verse 8, and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, as Jesus, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Verse 11, and then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of, of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. So two things that kind of caught my attention. First of all, it, it still seems like in eternity, there will be at least some distinctions of tribe and language and people and nation. That doesn't just all get wiped away. It's still there. That's how we're known. And we've been ransomed out of all of those different places. But what's interesting is at the same time, we all speak and we all praise God in the exact same words, the exact same voice. We're divided up by language and nation and, and tongue, but we're saying the same thing. We see that same thing over in chapter 7 as well. Look at chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Same thing. It's, it's interesting. We're distinguished by our different languages and nations and tribes and, and tongues. But at the same time, we are communicating, praising to God the exact same content. And what it seems to be is that there sort of a, a reverse of the curse at Babel. Remember Babel, where all the languages were confused? Well, most people connect the confusion of languages at Babel with the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost to sort of reverse that cursing that God did. Well, it didn't completely reverse it, did it? Because we don't all know every language. I mean, how many of you guys spent two years in high school learning a language that now you've basically forgotten? I did too. German, two years, flushed down the drain to no good. Part of the problem is we just don't retain languages very well. But this seems really cool. It seems like in eternity, we won't need this gift anymore because we'll actually be communicating with other people in other languages all the time. In fact, look back at 1 Corinthians 13. Notice what he says there. Look at verse 9. 
He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I spoke like a child, or excuse me, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. It's not that the language goes away, it's that the language comes into full maturity. I speak like a man. What's he talking about? Well, in the speaking part, he's talking about tongues. That's what he's talking about. That's the the context of that. And so, again, not a hill I'm willing to die on, but I think in glory, one of the reasons we won't need this anymore is that I think we will be able to understand people of every language with perfect precision to the glory of God. We won't need a special gift. So let me ask, if love is eternal, but the gifts are not eternal... Does that mean that the gifts right now don't matter? If love is the only thing that that really exists, does that mean that we just toss the gifts aside? And the answer, of course, is no. They're crucial for the redeemed people of God to serve one another until Jesus comes back. The Spirit himself has given us these gifts on purpose, specified to each individual to serve the church and to proclaim the glories of the risen Christ. So just because they're temporary doesn't mean they're unimportant, right? If you are on the Titanic and you need a lifeboat, is that lifeboat temporary? Yes. Is it important? Yes. Just because something is temporary does not mean that it's unimportant. The gifts that we have now, the Spirit has given us, they're not eternal, but they are important for the work of the gospel mission. So our spiritual gifts are just temporary in the grand scheme of things, whereas love is eternal. What else is temporary? The second thing we see here is that the world that we know is temporary. The world that we know is temporary. Look at verses 9 and 10. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So what is Paul getting at here? I think he's getting at two things. I think first he's saying that all the spiritual gifts that we have are partial gifts. They're partial gifts. Remember back in in the first couple of verses of chapter 13, he, he was speaking in hyperbole. If I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but I have not love, I am a noisy gong. If I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, well, nobody's ever done that. Nobody's ever had the gifts on those level. Those would be perfect gifts, maybe except Jesus. Jesus had those on a perfect level. No, all of our, all of our gifts are, are partial. They're, they're all, um, they're all, uh, not in its fullness. So, so all of these are, are just partial gifts. The other thing that he gets at is that even the world around us will pass away when the perfect comes. What's the perfect? Well, the perfect is the return of Jesus. How do we know that? Well, we know that it's the return of Jesus because he says in verse 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall be fully known, even as I have, or I shall know fully, excuse me, even as I have been fully known. Who are we going to see face to face? We're going to see Jesus face to face. That's what we're looking forward to, is the return of Christ. So we see Jesus either at our death or when Jesus comes back. And since people have been dying for 2,000 years and we still have these gifts, we can just understand that this is when Jesus comes back. The end goal, the teleos, that's the word that's used here, the, the perfect is the return of Jesus. It's the coming of Jesus. 
I want to show you some amazing truths about the coming of Jesus because there's going to be a lot of temporary things that are done away with when Jesus returns. We'll go over at 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 57 for just a minute. One of the things that disappears when Jesus comes back is death. Death dies when Jesus returns. Look down in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Paul says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. The idea is we're not all going to die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says we're not all going to sleep. There's going to be a generation that doesn't die. There's going to be a generation who will be alive at the coming of the Lord. For those who are in Christ, they will be changed. They will be transformed into glorified bodies. They'll never taste death. I hope I'm in that generation. I don't want to die. Nobody wants to die. For those who are not in Christ, they will be cast into the lake of fire forever. But death will die. That's why he says death is swallowed up in victory at the return of Christ. And our bodies are transformed. Philippians 3 says that our lowly bodies will be transformed into glorious bodies. That's what happens at the last trumpet. There's going to be a trumpet that sounds. The entire earth will hear it. And all of the dead who have ever died will rise. Believers will be transformed and glorified. Unbelievers thrown into eternal damnation. Death dies. There's no more death. Death is a temporary thing. It's only in this age, from creation to second coming of Jesus. Death will cease to ever be a thing again. Verse 54, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up. It's gone forever. No more dying, no more funerals, no more saying goodbye. Death is gone. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. The universe is temporary. What we see around us is temporary. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter gives us this admonition to stay faithful. Even though it's been a long time since, since Jesus was here the first time. Stay faithful, even though our lives get weary. 2 Peter 3, verses 8 through 13. Peter says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So Peter says the day of the Lord is coming. He also calls it the day of God. That's the return of Jesus. And what happens on that day? The heavens will pass away and everything is is burned up and dissolved and, and ultimately used again into a new creation. We sing this when we sing Amazing Grace. The earth will soon dissolve like snow, the sun forbear to shine, but him who called me here below will be forever mine. It seems as though God is going to take everything that we know, everything that we see, and he's going to dissolve it down to its atoms and then recreate it in a glorified body. Just like he does with our physical bodies. I mean, think about, think about the resurrection of Abraham or David or any of your favorite Old Testament saints. They're not, they're not in a box somewhere. They're like dust. They're gone. How's God going to raise them? Well, because God knows every atom. He knows every molecule. He can put it all back together and glorify it again. He's going to do the same thing with the earth. Romans 8 indicates that the world itself is waiting for its own redemption. You want a new body? You know what else wants a new body? The earth wants a new body. It's almost as though it's longing for the return of Jesus so that it can be purged of sin. That's the teleos back in 1 Corinthians 13 that Paul's talking about. That's the perfect. That's the end. This is what Paul says we're looking forward to. All the spiritual gifts will end at the teleos. But it's that that we're looking forward to. You guys ever been on a like a long vacation or a long road trip? And, and maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, but you're just, you're ready to go home. You're just, you're just done being gone. You want home. You want that security. You want that comfort. That's what he's talking about here. That's the end. When the perfect comes... When the end comes, the return of Jesus, all these other things pass away. There's no more partial stuff. It all comes to fulfillment. I'm going down to that conference this week, and and it, this happens every time I'm gone. Like, we'll, we'll FaceTime, and, you know, we'll do fun stuff with the kids. It's just not the same. You want face-to-face. You want to be home, no matter how good it is. And especially if it's bad, you just want home. There's no more partial stuff in heaven. There's no more prophecy because we'll be complete. There's no more supernatural dropping of knowledge because we'll be staring at God in his awesome glory forever. There's no more tongues because I think we're going to understand it all. We'll be at the completion of everything once and for all. Spiritual gifts are temporary. This world is temporary. Our confusion in this life is temporary. Look at verse 12. For now we see it in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. You ever get frustrated that you don't understand the Bible or theology 100%? You ever get frustrated 
that we come up with different interpretations? How is it that we're all filled with the Spirit? We all have the Word of God. We all have the, the same tools of interpretation, but we all end up with, with different interpretations of things. I mean, couldn't God just like drop down a systematic theology for us? Like, that'd be so nice, right? You know what the problem with that is? We gotta have the same problems with that that we do with the Bible. Part of our problem is even the clear stuff we will twist for our own advantage, right? I mean, think about Jonah. God's like, go to Nineveh. Jonah's like, I'm going the exact opposite direction. It wasn't an issue of clarity, was it? No, it wasn't. It's an issue of his heart. That's really what it comes down to a lot of times. There are other things I think that God hasn't given us precise clarity on. We see in a mirror dimly. We get glimpses. We talked about prophecies. Sometimes prophecies are really weird. And we don't know. Why didn't you just tell us, like, in a in a letter, like, what, what you're talking about? Why are you using all these pictures and visions and that sort of thing? And we don't know why. Sometimes this is how God reveals it to us. And that's okay. It's his prerogative to do so. The secret things belong to the Lord, and it's good that they do. There are some parts of the Bible, try as we might, we just don't have a comprehensive understanding. We just started Revelation for our scripture reading. That's not because of stuff going on with Russia, by the way, all right? It's just we haven't read through Revelation. And so we're reading through Revelation. We're going to get to some chapters, and you're like, what in the world is going on? It would have been nice for, for God to write just a commentary alongside that. Maybe that's what we long for, but you know what? We need to be content that this is what God has given us. This is what he's revealed to us, and we need to be faithful with as much or as little as we know about it. We'll read in 1 Corinthians 15 that there's a mentioning of, of people who are baptized on behalf of the dead. What in the world is that about? Scholars have, have put down over 200 different interpretive theories about what that means. Nobody knows for sure. We could have used a little bit more clarity on that maybe, except maybe God just wants us to be faithful with the things that we do know for sure. We see in a mirror dimly. Other things are clear. Jesus is God. Jesus rose again. Salvation is by faith alone and grace alone and nothing else. These confusions that we experience are just temporary, though. One day they'll all be clear. What needs to be clear anyway. Finally, faith and hope are temporary. Verse 13, faith and hope are temporary. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These remain, these three, but the greatest of these is love. It's kind of an interesting way to finish out this section. There are actually many places where, where Paul specifically uses faith, hope, and love together. If you've got some cross-references, you can look all those up. Uh, just to name one, Colossians 1 says, Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, and because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, and then he goes on. These are, these are good things, and they're often coupled together in the Christian life. Faith is trust, it's belief. And usually the object of faith is Jesus. We have faith in Jesus. We trust in Jesus. We believe that he is the son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity, the Messiah who died for sins, who rose again, who is our Lord and who will judge us in righteousness. So usually when it's talking about faith, the object is Jesus. Hope. Hope is not just a wish. Hope Hope is usually looking forward to the reward of heaven which, of course, is the fullness and the presence of God. 
Hope is laid up for us, the Bible says. We have a hope of righteousness. We have a living hope because Jesus rose from the dead. We have a hope that all of the promises of God will be seen in heaven. Not in a, boy, I really wish these would be true because that sounds really good. But no, we have an objective hope. That's what we're looking forward to because the God of the universe has promised them to us. This is a true hope. It's a certainty. But why is love the greatest? Faith and hope are given by God. Faith and hope are what secure our eternal life. I mean, if if it's faith in Jesus that saves a person, isn't that what would be the, the greatest thing? Isn't that more important than love? And the answer is no. Because the end goal of our hope and our faith is actually love. That's the end. Love is the be-all, end-all. One day we won't have faith or hope. We'll have sight. We'll be seeing God face to face. We'll be seeing the fullness of all of his promises. But you know what we'll still be doing even as we see God? We'll be loving one another in the fullness of how he's called us to do. That's what will remain is love. It's an eternity of unending love in the presence of Jesus. So whether God has gifted you in many ways or in few ways, what matters the most is love, eternal love to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you have shown to us. Every breath that we have, every beat of our heart is an act of love and mercy and grace and kindness from you. And Lord, we pray that we would reflect that same love to others, that we would be selfless, we would be filled with hope. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.